I joke. I never actually put the heaters there. I had nothing to do with that. I want to talk this morning about the power of perspective. We're in James chapter 5. And I've been thinking about those moments in life where you see something and you can never go back on it. And I've been trying to think of a really great story that would amuse us and amaze us. But it's really hard to think of something that's not inappropriate. Like, you know, there are things you're like, well, I can't unsee that. But every story I think of, it's like something that I'm not saying like really rude. I'm just like, you can't share that publicly, Simon. So I'm not going to. Okay. I'm not going to. Although, actually, no, I'll, I'll share this one. This is, this is Jenny's idea. It's not inappropriate. It's not inappropriate. Jenny's sister has a dog, Alfie, little puppy. Some of you have met him. And he just loves to, like, lick my nephew's face. And they just have a good old snog every day. It's just disgusting. Anyway, and then one day I see Alfie, little puppy, eating his own poo. And I'm like... One, I can't unsee that, but two, now I'm seeing that whole licking thing in an entirely different way, like I can't unsee that. I want us to experience this together a little bit this morning. I've got this picture, you may well have seen it uh, before, Um, not this one, you've definitely seen this one before, Um, but I'm talking about the flowers. Are they flowers, Amy? I don't know. Here we go. Have you seen this picture before? You're like, why Simon got a slide with flowers on? That's not like Simon at all. And yet, if you stare closely, you will see that there are five faces in this picture. Five faces. Can anybody see them? You see them? So like, here's some lips, for example, and a nose. And the thing is, you can stare at that for ages. I stared at that picture for ages and I could not see anything. I just, I was, I didn't, I hadn't seen the description. And so I was staring at it thinking, what on earth is going on? This is just flowers. And then once you see the faces, like this one in the middle here, or this one here, or this one here, or this one here, or this one here, you can't, you can't unsee them. Like once you've noticed it, you can never stare at that picture at all and just think it's flowers. And, and I think what Jay, today we're going to talk about suffering. Today we're going to talk about persevering in trials. Today we're going to talk about, you know, those difficult circumstances. And I, see, I think what James invites us to do is to see those situations in a way we have never seen them before. That, that, that whether you go through, whether you're in the middle of something right now, or whether you will go through something at some point in the future, I think I, what I'm praying over today is that you would see things that God wants you to see that you can never unsee. That there will be insights that the Lord drops into your mind today, drops into your heart, and you're like, I can't unsee that. That actually when you go through those times, go through those seasons, that you'd remember some of these things that we're going to talk about today. If you've got a Bible, uh, I feel like this is a bit old-fashioned. Like, I always bring a Bible with me. I'd encourage you to bring a Bible, or at least a device with a Bible on it. You never know when the Lord might want you to read it and use it. But here we go. I'm going to read from James chapter 5, verse 7 through to 12, and uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. Verse 7 says this, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, 
patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today. We don't come with just sort of human perspective, human wisdom. God, we come around your word. We believe that you have literally breathed this word out, these scriptures out. They are a gift to us, Lord God. They reveal to uh, to us a reality that would otherwise be um, unseen to us were you not to have revealed it. And so we want to pay attention to these verses today. We want to pay attention to your word. We pray that by your spirit that you bring it to light for us, that you bring it to light in us. And Lord God, that there will be things this morning that we just cannot unsee, but that you would equip us and enable us for every good work. Equip us and enable us to follow you more faithfully in whatever season we go through. In your wonderful name, amen. Are you an amener or an amener? Ameners? 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 You know... Hey, it's fine. Different perspectives. I think it all counts, as Jenny said. It all counts. You know, sometimes we have messages and, and, we, and, and, I, and I speak it or we come to a passage and it's like I know that some of you are like, yeah, vaguely interesting. And for some of you are like, oh, that's really relevant. But when we talk about pain, trials, endurance, suffering, every single one of us can relate to this. Either we've been through something, are going to do something, will go through something. Something, if you are alive on this earth, you will suffer at some point, whether significant or incidental, whether prolonged or momentary. All of us go through these sorts of seasons. And the thing is, it's more problematic for Christians. You see, if you are somebody who's sort of religious and you believe that God just punishes people when they make a mistake, there, you know, that might be one way you see it. Another way, another lens people look through that life is, is karma. If I do good, I receive good. If I do bad, I receive bad. And so when we, when we go through suffering, if you're, if the lens through which you look at life is karma, you're like, well, I must have done something. That's the reason why I'm suffering. If you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, you don't believe there really is anything such as evil because you have no objective moral reality and you're led to just this thing of, well, that's just what this world is like. It's what Richard Dawkins called blind, pitiless indifference. There's no hope in that. There's there's, There's nothing to go on. It's just like, well, that's your circumstance. Cool. But it's worse for us as Christians because we believe in an all-powerful God and we believe that He is good and yet He allows us to go through seasons of suffering. And those two things don't seem to reconcile. And so we're left with this challenge. And the purpose of talking about this today is that every single one of us goes through these sorts of, of seasons. And I know in this church, We've been through some tough times. And I know that some of you right now are going through tough times. And I know that some of us are going to. Moments where it's really dark. And the thing is, 
The challenge is we can't deal in platitudes. We can't be like, hey, have faith. Everything's going to be okay. Because if you're struggling to conceive, I can't actually promise you you're going to conceive. If you're dealing with sickness in your family, I can't actually promise you that's going to be okay. If there, is, if there is brokenness in your marriage, I can't actually promise you that that's actually going to work out okay. I, I can pray with faith. I can pray with you and for you. And maybe we'll make space at the end to actually pray for some stuff. Like I reach out to, for people to pray for healing, but I don't actually have any guarantee in the here and now that God will deal with that in this lifetime. I don't, I don't have that. And what James is calling us to do is, is, is not to base our faith on whether God answers that prayer or not, but encouraging us to persevere in faith. And what he wants us to see is that, that what we have come to believe is a worldview that is, that is different to any other because at the core of what we believe is hope. Look at verse 7 again with me. It says, be patient then, my brothers and sisters, until, until the Lord's coming. Do you notice that word until? I've said it three times now. I hope you've noticed it. He's not saying hold on to faith indefinitely. He's not saying just, um, he's not saying hold on with no reason. He's saying hold on until Jesus comes again. That in this life of pain and suffering, you and I are not immune, but we have this hope that at the core of what we believe is this historical event where the Son of God died for the sin that caused all the pain and the evil and the suffering in our world and rose again proving He defeated it. Rose to the right hand of the Father and will one day return in power and in glory. He's coming to rule and reign in power. He's coming to destroy sin and and suffering and death forever. And He is coming again to bring about a new heavens and a new earth. So dear people... Dear people, hold on in faith until that day. James gives us three pictures to help us see what this sort of patience is like. Number one is a farmer. And I think the picture of the farmer teaches us to wait for the Lord's coming with expectation. Go with me, verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. You think of the farmer. She, she, she prepares the field and, and, and plows it and plants the seed and covers it over and then just waits. Just waits with this expectation that there's going to be rain. And waits with an expectation that there is going to be a valuable harvest. But you can't just dash out into the field and sort of just pull the crops up quickly. You know, like quickly, I can't wait any longer. No, she just has to stand back and wait. But I want you to see that this isn't just like idle waiting. This is not waiting around, it's waiting for. This week, as Jenny said, she's been in Sydney with family and and Friday night, you know, the girls love time with dad. They know dad's more lenient, if we're honest. Most dads are. Anyway, 
And, um, and Friday night comes around, mum's on her way home, and we head to the airport. And, uh, and the girls dash into the terminal, um, and uh, I wait in the car. Because, you know, you don't want to pay for parking, let's be honest. So you want to go to the waiting bit, and then when it gets near 10 minutes, you do a lap. You know, and you come back and you do a lap because we refuse. We refuse to pay for parking if we don't have to, right? Come on, give me an amen or an amen. And uh, and so the girls head into the head into the terminal and they're watching that door because they know mum's coming. And they're not quite sure how long because mum had blissfuls in her bag and they wanted to rescan that and check that. So, you know... Can't, can't be bringing any sort of natural products in. And so, they, so, so there's this waiting, and it's longer than they expected, but they're looking. They're looking. They're looking because they know when that door moves and mom comes out, they're going to see that smile. They're going to get that hug. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be that connection once again. And, and I think James wants to let us know that we are not, we're, we're not waiting around idly. We are waiting for, there is this expectation for us that at any moment Jesus will return and all of our hopes in that moment will be fulfilled. Every season of suffering you've ever been through will be finished in that moment. You know when, when in 1 Corinthians it says, but now these three things remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these things is love. Why love? Because love's the only thing that's eternal. Faith will no longer be faith when Jesus returns because it will be sight. Hope will no longer be hope because you will have received everything you could ever hope for. The only thing that remains is love. The thing that characterizes our relationship with the Lord. He is coming again. And no matter what season you go through, can we look forward and wait with an expectation knowing He's coming again. And I think part of the challenge for us is too many of our hopes and ambitions and dreams are wrapped up in this world. And when the hopes we had don't come to pass, when the plans we made aren't fulfilled, we go, what then? The things I hoped for in this life, I will never, I can never achieve. What then? And at the core of what we believe is this expectation that will never be disappointed. He is coming again. James says, just like the farmer, stand firm. The phrase stand firm means quite literally strengthen your heart. Your heart that is the seat of your will and your emotions and your decision making and your hopes and dreams and fears and ambitions. That's your heart. And that heart that's prone to wonder. That heart that's prone to doubt. That's heart that's prone to question and, and to struggle. James says, strengthen your heart. Think of that farmer when the crops don't quite come up when they expected. You can imagine the farmer going, I know the soil is good. I know the seed is good. And it always rains every year. I know the I know the spring rains are coming. They're later this year, but I know they're coming. And the autumn rains, I know they're later this year, but I know they're coming. I know there is a valuable crop coming, so I'm going to wait with expectation. And I think for us, there are moments where you've got to think through your faith. I know there are moments where I've woken up in the middle of the night and gone, is this all real? Like, is this, is this fake or is this real? And I begin to think through my faith. No, no, I, I, I understand the, the Christian faith as I understand it is, is the best way of articulating 
that we're valuable and this life had a beginning and you know all of those things like I believe that Jesus is the best articulation the best answer to some of the biggest questions we have in life and so I go through those sorts of things in my heart to remind myself no this is true my life's different because of Jesus and I have this hope that he's coming again can we strengthen can we be a community that strengthens one another's hearts when we're struggling, we come alongside and we say, can I remind you of something? Can I help you wait with expectation? Here's a second thing, second picture James has for us. It's the picture of the prophet. And it's pretty vague. Uh, there's so much of the Old Testament is filled with writings of the prophets. And so you're like, James, what are you talking about here? He doesn't give us too many clues. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Well, that's one clue for us. They spoke in the name of the Lord. And of course, you had these false prophets that told people what they wanted to hear, and they never faced any opposition. (laughs) They were welcomed and celebrated because they told people what they wanted to hear. But those who spoke in the name of the Lord, who were faithful to the message that God wanted to confront the people with and call them back to covenant faithful, those people who dared to speak the words that God had given them to speak, they were hated, accused of lies, uh, chased away, threatened, killed they were prepared to follow God's call on their life no matter the consequences and the thing about the prophets is they actually died without seeing what they hoped for and so they confront the people with the message of of their of their sin and calling them to covenant faithfulness with God and of course that sort of calling to covenant faithfulness actually revealed to the people you can't do this by yourself you can't live up to the standard that God has for you but the message throughout the prophets is but God's going to send a savior and when he comes everything will change was not one prophet by the last one John the Baptist who actually set eyes on Jesus which means they died without actually seeing that the fruition of their ministry, and actually the vast majority of them were completely ignored anyway. You want a sense of futility? They were ignored largely for the message that God had for them to do. But they trusted that what God had called them to do was part of a bigger plan. And I think for us, this is so countercultural. Like, I love a good podcast as much as the next person, or at least much of as much as some of you. And, um, you know, I love the likes of like Jocko Willink and Tim Ferriss and people like that. And, you know, you get amazing like just insights on life and life hacks and tricks and things like that, you know. And, uh, but these are incredibly successful people sharing their insights on how they do life well. And of course, I can try those things, but if my life doesn't measure up, if I'm not as successful as them, if I don't achieve what they have achieved, then what does that say about me? Because our culture tells us, you need to be successful. You need to measure up. You need to meet the standard. And if you don't, we begin to wonder, what then? You know, what the prophets remind us of is actually, it's not about your success. It's not about whether you achieve all the goals that you set out to achieve. Your life is a part of such a grand story. The greatest story that has ever been told and will ever be told. You are a part of it. Will you be faithful to the part that God's actually asked you to play? 
One of the insights I've had since living in Miramar, and some of you who work in movies have, have, have let me know about the process of like VFX and how movies are made. One of the things I realize is how many of you do a job that is so tiny in the process. You know, it's like, okay, I get the book and then I turn it and then, and then I draw some outlines and then I color it in and then I shade it and then I light it. And it's like, it, it must be so hard sometimes seeing how your role fits within the grand scheme. And, um, and I realize there's a sense of futility for some of you because you're like, oh, spent months on that shot and it didn't even get in the movie. Don't go there, all right? That's not the point of what I'm sharing. The point is that I wonder how often you can be doing something and you're like, is, this, is there even any point in this? Is this even significant? And you have to trust that the, the director or whoever it is, forgive my lack of terminology, but the, the director knows what he wants out of the grand story. And you have to trust that the part you've been asked to play is valuable. If you're a follower of Jesus, you might not be able to make a difference like you thought you wanted to. And it can lead you to go, is it even worth it? And God says, will you trust me with the bigger plan? Will you trust me with the bigger story? And will you be faithful to what I've asked you to do? That might be to make a difference in one person's life. It might be to pray. But will you be faithful to what I've called you to do? To to believe in my son and to be filled with the spirit and to allow the spirit to to enable you to love God and to love people and to make people the most important thing in whatever you're doing, whether you're serving or, or praying or whatever, make people the most important thing and trust that it's Jesus that is building his church. And even if you were as capable as you wanted to be, you still couldn't build a church like Jesus. So we trust that what he's asked you to do is not futile, is not meaningless, but is actually a meaningful part of his bigger picture. Here's the third insight I want you to have. I think James would have us to have. So we've got the whole waiting with expectation like a farmer. We've got trusting the bigger story like I think the prophets did. And then we've got looking for Jesus like Job. Look at Job, uh, verse 11, uh, second half of it. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I love this. Did you notice those words in Psalm 145 earlier? Those words were there. I hadn't seen that before. How cool is that? I think it's cool. And... uh, You've you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Job is a fascinating story. A guy who is acknowledged as being righteous and, and God gives Satan a way longer leash in his life than you and I are comfortable with, if we're honest. And Job... Uh, literally over the space of a few hours loses his wealth. You know, houses and things like that collapse and, and, and animals are killed. He loses family and he loses his own health. 
And suddenly he's got sores all over his body and his body is riddled with pain. And that the whole book then becomes this conversation with his friends trying to make sense of what is going on. And there's all these different opinions going back and forth until you come to this incredible moment in the book where God speaks. And I love, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. If you come to, you don't have to turn there, but you come to like chapter 38, 39, 40, 41 of Job, God speaks. And I like, let me just read some of the words. As Job's been like just sitting with his friends, wondering what's going on. And God says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Like it just goes on. Job is confronted with God. He says, Job, for all of your opinions, for all of your perspectives, for all of your questions and concerns, can you appreciate that you're just a person? Your life is like this vapor in this grand story. And I'm God. You weren't there when I laid the earth's foundations. You have no idea what it, what it looks like, what I see and what I do. My power and my plan. You have no idea, Job. I'm God. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And what I love about Job is he has this profound new perspective where God introduces him to things from God's point of view and by the end of the story as James lets us know you know God brought about this incredible deliverance gave him as many kids as he had before doubled the amount of sheep and cattle you know double like just gave him double everything but before that before that here's what Job says in response to what God said My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I I was familiar with you. I'd heard stories about you. But now I've gone through this season, I have seen you. I have seen you. I believe that Job discovered things about God in that season that he could never have discovered if the world was as he wanted it. And to see God is surely the most precious things. And as Job, as James looks at Job's life, he, he concludes, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job didn't, James didn't even need to go through Job's life. He could just look at Job's testimony. Look at the fact that Job saw Jesus, saw God. And and understood more about God because of the season that he'd gone through. And James' conclusion is, wow, God is full of compassion and mercy. And I believe there are things that God wants to teach you in seasons of suffering that you would never choose and God never calls you to say it's okay. It was worth it. He just says, in that place, 
Will you look for me? Will you allow me to teach you things about myself that I could never teach you? Will the world all as you would want it to be? I love these two words that James uses. One is compassion. Rather, he says, full of compassion. The reason I love the word compassion is the Greek word splachnizomai, which, like, could you think of a more phenomenal word? It's marvelous. But this word's slightly different because it's that with full. It's full of compassion. Compassion is this, like, the ancients described their sort of feelings and emotions in, like, the depths of their being. And so the word means, like, to be moved to one's bowels. Right? It's pretty, it's pretty out there. You, I know what you're saying. Like, I can't unsee that now, Simon. I can't unhear that. But like, we would say like, it's a knot in your stomach. That sort of thing. Just that feeling of like, right deep down. But notice this. Please pay attention to this. This is God eternal. God who is impossible to shock or surprise. God who knows every byte of data in the whole of the universe ever all at once perfectly like just crazy and he 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 humbles himself to say i'm going to be moved by your situation i'm going to be moved in the depths of my bowels even though he doesn't have bowels but it moved in the depths of my bowels over what's going on in your life I'm grieved over your situation. I'm moved by you. Can you see that? I'm moved with compassion for you. And so here's what we can be sure. I cannot tell you why suffering. I cannot tell you why evil. But here's what we can know from this word full of compassion. It's not because he doesn't care. He allows himself to be grieved over what goes on in our lives. But he's also predisposed to action. He is not just full of compassion. He is merciful. When, God, when Jesus tells us, love your enemies as yourself, it, we're to do good. We're to, we're to act well on behalf of our enemies, even though they don't deserve it. Why? Because Jesus is just as your heavenly Father is merciful. And so what Jesus is telling us, and I think what James is telling us in this moment, is it's not just that God is moved by your situation and unable to do anything and unwilling to do anything. He is predisposed to action on behalf of people who don't deserve it. And so he will act. Maybe it's not in the way that we want him to, but he will act Maybe, maybe certain things won't be resolved until he comes again, but he will act because full of compassion and merciful is who he is. When you and I were far from God and dead in our sin, he sent, he was so moved over our situation and our lostness that he sent his one and only son to die in our place, to take our sin upon himself and to place his righteousness upon us that we might see him one day when he returns and be with him and one another forever because he is full of compassion. He is merciful. What I want us to do right now, and I realize that as I say this, some of you will say, Simon, you're imposing on me suffering that you are capable of taking away. But I'm going to do it anyway. 
And that is, I want us to gather in groups, and it might be, you know, medium-sized groups, where it's okay if you don't say anything. And I realize if you're not a follower of Jesus today, and it, or you're real introverted, and this is like a bit of a scary space, or it's just a bit too personal for you, you don't have to share. But I notice in this story, in this passage, James sees what happens in Job's story and he's able to come to a conclusion. He is full of compassion and mercy. And those insights that James could never go back on would be a powerful perspective in, in, in whatever season James would have to go through. Bear in mind, first century church is pretty difficult. He would always know, no matter what he went through, God is full of mercy and compassion. And so what I want us to do is share, and I realize this is not necessarily a safe space to share the, the, all the details of the narrative. You don't have to share that. But what I do want us to do is share, what did you learn about God in that season? What have you seen about God in the darkness? And, and as we share with one another, just little things. This could be small things. could be, I, I, there was, you know, this season that I went through, and in that place... I saw this about God. And those who hear get encouraged by it. They're like, I can tuck that away. That's an insight I can have. That's a perspective I can use in whatever season God would take me through. And so I'm not going to organize you, but gather in medium-sized groups. Just You'll have to turn around in your chairs. Some of you might have to stand around. Just for the next 10 minutes or so, share with one another. What have you seen of God in those seasons that you could never see? had you not gone through that. Father, I want to thank you for your word. And I want to thank you that you have not called us to follow you by ourselves, but you gathered us together in the community of the church. We are family. And I pray that what you bring to mind right now by your spirit, the lessons that you have taught us throughout our lives that we could never have discovered on a beach in the sun with a beer in our hand, God, I pray you bring those to mind, that this would be a time of incredible encouragement of one another. In your wonderful name.